This is Bob Brooks, host of the Prudent Money Radio Show, heard daily on Bible School Radio, 91.3 KDKR, Decatur, Dallas, Fort Worth, and on 91.3 KYJC Commerce. Portions of KDKR programming do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or staff. Prudent Money with Bob Brooks is sponsored by the Prudent Money Foundation on 91.3. Well, parent-based student loans you need to be careful with. Today we're going to take a look. Stay tuned for Prudent Money. Good afternoon. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining me today. You know I do appreciate it. Well, today we'll be taking a little bit more detailed look at the loans that make up student loan debt. John Apollo, who is considered an expert on all things colleges, as well as a Prudent Money contributor, is here to give us his take. John, how are you today? Bob, Happy New Year. I'm really glad to be with you. I'm doing well. Thank you. You know, it's so funny. I was sitting here uh, waiting for the uh, music to go down, and I thought, it just seemed like yesterday that I was wishing you a Merry Christmas. And at the rate we're going here, I mean, we're going to be in, in November, December again before you know it. At blink of the eye, it's funny you said that, Bob, because I, I said the exact same thing to my <laughs> wife this morning. I said, we're, I'm doing Bob's show this afternoon. I feel like I just did it, and uh, time does fly. I I wish that some of the topics we were talking about would fly by as quickly as the time does, but we're still talking about the same things uh, we've been talking about for the past year or so. It's really pretty phenomenal, so I'm really glad to have the opportunity to talk to you today. Well, I think it's it's great. It's a, it's a real blessing to be able to do this and, and really keep listeners up on uh, you know on someone who's right in the middle of things. You know exactly what's going on and what's happening. And anybody who's got uh, kids that are they're, uh, w- going through the process of college admissions, this stuff is so very important. Let's uh, get a, go ahead and get an update on the FAFSA. Then just to to get to kind of take a step back, that was typically those those uh, enrollments open in October, but they changed everything, and they were shooting for December. Did we make it in December? Just where are we today? So, Bob, that's a great, very simple question that doesn't have a very great, simple answer. So I'll tell you what happened. (laughs) When we spoke last time, we were kind of poking a little fun at the Department of Education because from the beginning of September, they said, well, we're going to release that form sometime in December. And I said, well, that doesn't really help folks because, as you said it exactly right, we've become conditioned to believe that on October 1 each year, that federal, the free application for federal student aid, the FAFSA form, will be available for students and parents to fill out. And again, the important part of this is that that is the one piece of documentation, the very single piece that the Department of Education uses to determine how much federal aid a student may be eligible for. So you don't have to really think very hard if you're a student or a parent to say, I'd really like to know what my eligibility for aid is before I put all those applications in in December and January. I'd like to have some idea of what this could actually cost me. So for all the reasons we've talked about, and sort of ironically because of this uh, legislation called the FAFSA Simplification Act, which has been anything but simple. But because of that, they went and they changed the form. And, uh, you know, we at Invite Education, we have a software company. 
And one of the things that's really important when you have a software company is to make sure that your software is maintained and up to date. And that means having ADA compliance and all the security measures and all that, right? So what the department undertook was a complete revamp of that form, the FAFSA form, and they wanted to have it available by October 1. They had about two years to get this right. And the, the problem is they didn't get it right, and so it started leaking. And so your very good question was, was it available in December? Well, technically, they came up with a new term called the soft launch, and they <laughs> soft launched the document at like the 27th or 28th. So, of course, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a little bit of a financial aid nerd, so I kept going up there saying, can I get on the form? Can I get on the form? Well, lo and behold, I got on the form New Year's Eve at about 8 o'clock, just before our guests had arrived for the New Year's Eve celebration. So, Technically, Bob, they delivered on time because some folks did have access to that form. However, if you go on Reddit or LinkedIn or the FAFSA Facebook group, you'll find out that most people have not had a good experience. They either do not have access to the form or when they're filling the form out, they get kicked out by saying, sorry, this is no longer available yeah, right? How frustrating is that? <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, there's a lot going on there. Uh, so the, the real question is, you know, what should parents do in this circumstance? What should students do? And as you've been good to tell everyone, at mycollegecorner.com, we have a bunch of articles up there. And one of the things we talked about in detail is what should you do while you're waiting for this form to become available? And there are a couple of things. One, it's absolutely critical, and you might remember this from your experience with your boys. You, the parent, need an FSA ID. And by the way, the one that you used in the past is still good right now. Um, but if you're new to this process, your student is a high school senior, you don't know this. So what parents can do is go up on the website at studentaid.gov and look for the FAFSA ID, and you can fill out that form, and they'll get your FAFSA ID. Critical number, Bob. That 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 is your ID. It's, it's almost like your Social Security card or your driver's license, because anything that you're going to do now as a parent, and then the student's going to get one separately, but that's the ID that the government uses so that you have access to all these different systems, the student loan system, any of the others. So that's a really critical thing. So parents should go get their FSA ID if they haven't. Same thing for the student, uh, whoever the student is. And in the new world, uh, the student is the one who has to initiate this whole process. So there were some questions up on some of these websites today saying, you know, I, the parent, went in, I used my FSA ID, I filled out some information, and then a whole bunch of it was grayed out about the student, uh, what should we do? And appropriately, the answer was, well, you've done your part. Now the student has to go and initiate the process and, and pull it all together. So... Um, as I started at the beginning, it's a new year, but old problems when it comes to the FAFSA form. Well, a couple of things that come to mind. Uh, how do you know, and this may be a crazy question, but it, it just you, you're filling out so much on these government forms. How do you know that you're done? Yeah, great question. And honestly, I'll give the Department of Education a lot of credit for this. They took a form that used to take over an hour, I would say, for for a lot of people. And there were like 106 or 108 questions, and almost all of them were necessary. And at one point, you had to have your 
um, tax forms right in front of you to pull it right off the line items. They tell you where to go. But then they started to use this data retrieval with the IRS, and that's one of the complications I've heard from the Department of Education, that getting that linkage, and you can imagine how secure that link has to be if you're trying to get into the IRS database. Um, so they've had a, a lot of trouble, I think, getting that link set up the right way so that when and when you do this uh, next with, with your boys, when you go on, um, it's going to say, you know, you know, ask the student, can we have your contributor? And now in the new world, Bob, you're the contributor of your financial information to your students' uh, FAFSA form. They're going to say, you know, do you, do you have a parent? They're going to say, yes, you know, go, go tell my dad that he's got to file the form. And then you'll get a notification and you'll have an opportunity then to, to use your um, information there. But again, it's all coming through the IRS data retrieval. And the theory behind this, and I think actually it will play out once they work these kinks and bugs out, is that it will be quicker uh, for a lot of folks because they took that 100-plus questions, they trimmed it down to about 40 or 38 or 36 or something like that. Um, so we should be able to get through this. But, um, again, you know, uh, prayers for all those parents and for the students who right now are having to deal with this in real time, and it's their life. Right, They're, They have to know how much financial aid they might be eligible for, and some of them are not getting an answer in a very timely way right now. So let me ask you this, and this is not to, to put you in a corner and give advice. It is simply, how long would you wait to kind of let them figure out the kinks before it's too late to be submitting that form? Yeah, I've, I've said this pretty consistently. If you can get onto the form, try to fill it out as soon as possible. Um, and the reason I say that is the soft launch, the way it looks, and there are folks who are really looking at this in a lot of detail, and I talk to them on a pretty regular basis. It looks like the Department of Education is opening that form for an hour or a couple of hours every day. And it's getting longer, it looks like, uh, day to day. And the reason, again, is... is Invite Education is a software company. When we release something like this, you want to do two things. One, you want to make sure that the volume that comes in doesn't crash your system. So they may be um, slow leaking these applications so they don't get a huge, massive overrun and the system crashes, and then they've got bigger problems. So that kind of actually makes sense from a software development perspective. And then the second thing is, as the applications come in, they're going to see where the bugs might lie in that system. And I can almost guarantee you, again, from my experience with our, our software, um, almost every release, there's some little bug somewhere, no matter how hard you try and test, um, there's going to be a problem. So I think sensibly, they're slowing the flow in and likely scrambling to fix those bugs as quickly as they can as it happens. So I think that's what's going on with the, with the Department of Education and the FAFSA form. Very frustrating for families, no question about it. Um, but I still give the advice that if you can get onto the form, you should try to do it as soon as possible. Make sure, again, you have the, your FSA ID lined up, uh, and it should be a, a better experience once you can finally access that system. Okay, well, let's take, let's take student loan debt, something we, we haven't done in quite a while, and kind of break it down into components. And there's yep. the first, there's a student loan that is available to each student depending on where they are in class rank, uh, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, is the amount that you get. Yep. Talk a little bit about that particular part of the college funding program. 
Yeah, great. And I'll start at the very top to say once you file your FAFSA, you get your student aid index, what happens is the colleges take all that information the government gives them, and then they, they award different kinds of aid. They can award some of their university grant aid, maybe the states give some grant aid, scholarships, whatever that might be. But the other really important thing, and this is where we talk about aid eligibility for federal programs, there are three primary programs that come out of filing that FAFSA form. One of them is work-study, and the colleges could tell a student, okay, you get X dollars of work-study. Um, the great thing about work-study is it's a guaranteed job. The bad thing is it doesn't reduce your bill, and you have to go and work for it. So it's earned aid, really. Um, sure. Then the second kind of aid that's really important is the grant money, the Pell Grant money and the, the other grants that are going to come right from the government. They don't have to be repaid. And, again, that comes as a result of needs analysis that is done through that FAFSA form. And then the last piece of it uh, is the one that you want to talk about, which is are the loan programs. Uh, so once you file a FAFSA form, you become eligible. When I say you, I mean the student uh, and the parent, and we'll talk about the differences there, but the student becomes eligible for federal direct student loans. And for my money, Bob, the federal direct student loan program is the very best loan program for undergraduate students. And the government right now makes about 92% of all the loans for student uh, college aid, if you want to look at it, student loans, 92% of all the student loans that are made in the country are made by the United States government. And that is because once you fill out a FAFSA form, every student, no matter what their income is, no matter what their assets are, um, Bill Gates's kids can get federal student loans. There's no credit test. There's nothing. You're a student. You're in good standing. You're eligible for a loan. Uh, so that becomes really great. And then the other part that I think is, is quite good is that the government caps the amount that each student can borrow. So freshmen and sophomores can borrow $5,500. Juniors can borrow $7,500. I'm sorry, $6,500. And seniors can borrow $7,500. So it sort of steps up as you're going along. Uh, so again, what I like about that cap is if you're responsible in finding schools within your price range and you're also factoring in that you're going to get a loan like this, it's capped. It's just not what do I want? What do I need? I get whatever I want or need. It's This is what you can get out of the federal programs. Uh, so I, I think those uh, those federal direct student loans uh, for undergraduate to graduate students are really good. And I'll tell you something I want to point out about that, too, is that that, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, John, that is connected to, your, to the student's credit report. And if uh, paid off, you know, quickly... That could uh, that could really be a big boost as they enter the job market. A hundred percent right, Bob. I, I've um, I've did that with uh, with my daughters. Uh, they've each got a student loan um, for for that purpose. It really does help. Uh, so students who are making those on time payments, it establishes them as consumers, just like other consumers who are borrowing for autos or whatever it might be for your car or your mortgage payment. But it's a first step for a lot of uh, folks who are entering the workforce for the first time. They have an opportunity to borrow under a loan program that is, is really very favorable. And you're right, it helps their credit score. The other side of that is if they don't pay, it hurts their credit score. 
Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it is a two-sided coin, but I think if you look at it, then, you know, most, again, the majority of kids, they're paying on time when they get out of school. Of course, they're not kids anymore. They're in their mid-20s or sometimes older than that. But the reality is it does help the credit score, and, and it can be very helpful um, as they're laying the foundation for what they want to do in their future. I want to point out uh, and make sure that the listeners do know mycollegecorner.com is John's site, and you can go use the calculators on that site. Uh, could uh, take a step back on for the uh, financial aid to see, uh, get an idea of what you qualify for. And I'm assuming, John, that if anything drastically changed, you'd be writing about it. I think that that goes without saying. That, that that's right, Bob. We're actually going to post. Uh, we have a, a series on my college corner now called Ask the Expert. And so I actually go and talk to others who are really doing this day-to-day, hour-to-hour with students. And one of these uh, fellows named Greg Cohen, and I did a little Zoom with him at the end of the year. And this week we're going to release uh, the 10 most frequently asked questions, and Greg answers them. So these are actual clients and students and parents who he's dealing with. These are the 10 most frequently asked questions that they have. And that will be posted um, in video form. There's a YouTube channel there as well for My College Corner. So we're going to have all that information up in various uh, formats for folks to look at. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the parents' involvement in student loans. And the the funniest thing is that uh, what we've been doing this for four or five years, I think. Is that about right? I don't want to tell you I think it's longer, but it's, we'll say four <laughs> or five years, so we don't date it's, ourselves. It's been a long yeah, time. We've been doing it for a while. But yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, have a list of things I want to talk about, and somewhere in that list is always these parent plus loans, and we never get to it. I mean, we just have never gotten to it, and you always and you always say, man, I want to talk about that and warn people about that. So I'm, yeah. I'm looking at plenty of time here. So what you've wanted to say for a long time, I want you to talk about what is the pros and cons of the parent involvement with these loans, these plus loans. Yeah, so um, when I started before, I said the student loan program for undergraduate students, the direct loans, is by far the, the best loan available. And then I'm going to say on the other side of that, um, one of the most dangerous loans is the parent loan for undergraduate students, the PLUS loan. And again, it's federally sponsored. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you um, what the issue is. Uh, it's basically a loan, Bob, that if any commercial lender, so if a bank or a credit union or one of those credit card companies that have student loans, if they offer the terms, and I'll tell you what the terms are in a moment, if they offer these terms, I think the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and the uh, folks on Capitol Hill would be ranting and raving and screaming about how this is an unfair, usurious loan that should not be offered. So here are the terms. Um, One is that you I have a very minimal credit test. And what I mean by that is if you go get an, a car loan or a mortgage, they want to know everything about your financial picture because they want to understand, the lender, that you're going to be able to make those payments on the loan. That's what they're trying to determine, right? So they have a variety of different ways to do that, including your FICO score and your repayment history. Have you been delinquent on loans? The federal government, though, for the PLUS loan program, basically says you need no adverse credit. And what that kind of means is that you haven't been very delinquent on loans and don't have defaults. So that's the credit standard. They don't see how much money you make. They don't see anything about your capacity to repay. They just want to know that you don't have adverse credit. So 
almost everybody can pass that hurdle. Once you do that, then they say, okay, we're going to make a loan to you with a fee of almost 4.25%, so an origination fee. And then we're going to charge you a fixed rate, and the, and the 4.25 right now is the rate that's in effect currently. The current interest rate on that loan is 8.05%. And again, it's one rate for all borrowers. So if I went to a lender and I said to them, okay, here's my financial picture, my FICO score, they're going to, score, they're going to say, okay, based on all the people that we have done this work with in the past, you fall in this group. Either you're an excellent payer, you're a very good payer, you're a good payer, you're not so good payer, you're a poor payer, right? And we're going to offer interest rates based on your risk. So the folks who are not good credits, they have low FICO scores or they have had problems in the past, they're going to get very high interest rates. But they might qualify for a loan, or the bank will say to them, you know what, sorry, we don't believe that you have the capacity to repay, so we're not even going to make you the loan. On the other end of that are folks who are doing very well for themselves, and they're going to get a very much lower rate. So just to give you an idea of what that means for, for borrowers in the uh, federal loan program, uh, the sort of range of fixed rates right now in the marketplace for private loans is about 4.5% to 15%. So again, if I have good credit, and for those who, are, who know more about this, good credit We'll say like everything, anything over about a 725 or there about a, a FICO score, just very, very rough number. But above that, you're probably going to get a loan with an interest rate less than 8.05%, which is the federal government's rate. If you have poor credit, you're going to be offered a rate that's significantly higher than 8%, which is an indication that this loan is risky. Right. And then and again, the government says to everybody, you can come and take this loan no matter what your credit profile is. We actually don't check to see that you can actually make the repayments, but we want to give you access to education for your student. So we'll make you a loan at 8 percent. And that's it. And so it has a high fee. It has one interest rate for all borrowers. They'll give you up to the cost of attendance, so they don't put a cap on the loan. They say, if, if you need $40,000 for your son or daughter to go to school, we'll lend it to you. I think it's really a, 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 just a terrible loan because the default rates on loans are really high. And there's a lot of um, anecdotal evidence out there that parents don't really understand what they're kind of getting into. Uh, so, yeah, uh, unless you want to uh, go ahead. I was just going to, sorry to interrupt you. I was just going to add to why we still have a, a minute left is that it kind of falls under that situation where, well, if they're lending it to me, it must be okay. And that's, right. that's a da- dangerous, dangerous assumption to be making. It, it, it truly is. Um, I, I, I go on Reddit. I don't know if you uh, follow Reddit, but there was something on there today. A student came on. His mother took out like $100,000 of plus loans. The student says, I feel terrible. It's $900 a month. I'm trying to make these payments on to – it's in her name. That's the other thing. These, these plus loans are in the parent's name. It will never transfer to the student. Mm. In the private credit loan market, we can talk about that one day. They actually have a way for that, mm. that debt to transfer from the parent to the student called a cosigner release and allows that to happen. But that poor parent who takes these plus loans, again, they have the they want to do the right thing. They have the dream of college for their son or daughter sitting right there. The federal government 
says we'll give you all the John, money. John, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to cut you loose. We'll we'll talk again next month about this. Once again, mycollegecorner.com. Always a pleasure to have you on, John, and uh, your real blessing. If you have a question for me, please go to the website at prudentmoney.com and send it in because we are all out of time. Till we do meet again next time. Keep the faith and have a great rest of the day. That's all the time we have for today. Questions or comments for Bob or to find out more great information like what you've just heard, visit www.prudentmoney.com. Be sure to join Bob Brooks again for the next edition of Prudent Money.